Well, we are in Advent week. We want to welcome everyone who's watching on Facebook. Thank you so much for being a part of us. We recognize that obviously you're not here right now, but you're just as much a part of us, and we appreciate you each and every week. Thank you so much for joining in the conversation that's going on during the service. That means a lot to us. We're in Advent week, and we're getting ready for this celebration of Jesus' birth. It is a celebration of what has already happened, and yet what happens constantly, Jesus Christ born in the lives of people. Some of us can remember, hopefully all of us can remember that moment when we were born again, when Christ was born inside of our lives, and that power, that change, that might that happened in our lives is phenomenal. There's nothing like it in all the world. Matthew chapter 1 verses 20 to 23, talks to us about what the angel said to Joseph, the uh, person who was engaged, we'll use that word, to Mary, who had just found out she was going to give birth to the Messiah. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 to 23. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. In the Old Testament, we see how God was with certain people at certain times, and certainly in a very general sense, he was with the nation of Israel. But God would be with certain kings who trusted him. He would be, of course, with the prophets to speak to them and through them. He would be with others at a, at a discretionary point of view, a discretionary involvement. And yet we find the promise of God is that there would be a day when the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not just those who are Jews, but also those who are Gentiles. Those who are not a part of the nation of Israel would be grafted into that nation of Israel through Christ the Messiah. And this is this promise that says the Christ, the Messiah, the one born of the virgin is going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Don't you love to hear the stories about someone who goes from rags to riches? I mean, those stories just inspire us, don't they? When we hear about somebody who just comes from seemingly nothing or near nothing and just makes it big and just does wonderful. It was during his time of playing college that Kevin had an idea about something that would be beneficial to not only professional athletes, but also to just everyone who loves sports. It was an apparel that he thought would be very beneficial and helpful. And so he saved $20,000 of his own money and went $40,000 in credit card debt. Not a good idea, but it worked out for him. So he struggled and struggled and struggled, but the first year he started his business for sports apparel, it only made $17,000 in revenue. He saved $20,000. He's $40,000 in debt. You can do the math on that. 
However, the starter of this company called Under Armour is certainly glad that he didn't give up because in 2018, the revenue of this company is $4,900 million. That is a lot of money. He had a dream. He went from seemingly nothing to a lot. But then it can go in the opposite direction from riches to rags. And I'm not talking about Hollywood stars. We're really talking about a man named Sean McBride in 2009 in Brunswick, Georgia. He won $159 million in the Georgia lottery and immediately set out to give it all away. He said this, he said, with money, I can only buy things I don't need. I know, some of you are going like, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have said that. One of the richest men ever in the world, worth billions. He was really wrestling with what to do with it, and he came home after making a decision. He told his wife, we're going to do it. She said, okay. And he had a strategic plan over the next 20 years to give billions of dollars away. And he did. And finalized it this, this year by completely signing everything over. 20-year period, he gave all of his billions away. Phenomenal. Going from riches to rags. It's one thing to see somebody go from the bottom to the top, but it's quite different to see them go from the top to the bottom. But what is the motivation behind that? I can only think of one, and that would be the motivation of love. But what if we take this example to an entirely different level? What if we take this to an extreme level? And you're right now thinking billions of dollars given away. That's pretty extreme. But could there be a more extreme example of this from riches to rags? What if we took the, the most wealthy person in the entire world? In fact, let's take the wealthiest 1% of the entire world and we take all of their wealth and we give it to one person. That's a bunch of denarii, isn't it? What if we take all of that and give it to one person? Man, can you think of the vacations? You could buy cities, countries. You think of the house, the servants, the people you pay to do stuff for you. So you don't really have to do anything except breathe, I guess. You imagine that? That's phenomenal. And yet... For any of us to think, wow, if you had all that, why would you just give it all away? It would be like that richest person with all of that wealth deciding one day, you know what? What I really want in life is to be a squirrel. I want to live in a tree surrounded by leaves. I want to run around on the ground looking for nuts. So I can eat acorns and pecans. That's absurd, isn't it? But is that maybe a picture of what God did? God left heaven to come down to be one of us. Emmanuel... God with us. Now, I'm, I'm not smart enough to know what the angels were thinking, but they don't know everything. I do know that. And I was, I'm wondering what the angels were thinking about this Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for 
eons of time, there's worship, there's praise, there's responsibility, there's interaction, and now suddenly one is gone. And I can picture them maybe saying, what is really going on here? What's happening? I wonder what it was like in heaven. I wonder what it was like to, to experience that kind of movement of Jesus Christ, that second person of the Trinity, leaving heaven and coming down to become one of us, just like one of us. He became a seed in the womb of a young girl named Mary, but he also became a seed in your heart and in my heart. We can easily see the power of a seed rightly planted in the correct season with the correct soil. Martha Washington said this about that potential of seed. She said, the, the greater part of our happiness or misery depends on our disposition and not on our circumstances. We carry the seeds of the one or the other with us in our minds wherever we go. Robert Louis Stevenson said, don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seed that you plant. Gloria Gaither said, love is the seed of all hope. It is the enticement to trust, to risk, to try, and to go on. What kind of seed are we talking about? It's not a philosophy. It is not a denomination. It's not a method of living. This seed is the person of Jesus Christ. The first prophecy about this Messiah was referring to him as a seed was in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where God is speaking to the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring and yours. He will crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. Saying there is, there is a seed we're talking about. This Jesus Christ became that seed and is that seed within our own life, that one who saves us. Jesus refers to himself as a seed. In John chapter 12, verses 23 and 24, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. For truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. You see, a seed is something that is added to the soil. Now, this is the meat of what I really want to talk about today. The seed is something that is added to the soil. You see, God, his remedy for conquering sin in our lives is not through subtraction. Now, many times we talk about salvation is that moment when God forgives us of all of our sin, and truly, that is true. God does forgive us of our sin. But that is not the remedy, that is not his method for conquering sin in our lives. Could picture this. What if we were to say, we don't know Christ, we're, we're lost, we're apart from God, and we come to and say, God, please, please forgive me of all of my sin. And he says, okay, and he wipes away all of your past sins. What would that do? That would give you a fresh start to ruin everything that remains. It would give you a fresh slate. Everything's clean. Everything's great. But you didn't change. You see, God conquers sin not by subtraction but by addition. Because he comes and says, I'm giving you a new nature. 
I'm not just going to take away your sin. I am taking away your sin, but I'm going to give you a new nature. The Romans, the, the church in Rome had this uh, kind of a confusion, and Paul is writing to the Romans, and he says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. He's saying, without Christ, I have a sinful nature. My, my nature is inclined towards sinning, not toward doing what is right. I have the desire to do what is right, but I can't carry it out. If we look at the world today, we see a lot of people with great intentions. And that's good. That's to be applauded. You don't criticize that. Having good intentions and wanting to do good things, that's awesome. But in reality, what we find is we can't fulfill those good desires because of the nature that we have. It is a nature of sin given to us from birth, birth for thousands of generations all the way back to Adam and Eve. Given to us that we have no control over, given to us that we didn't do anything to deserve it, we can't do anything about it other than just submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So God conquers sin in our lives, not simply by taking away our sin, but by what he gives us, a new nature. Aren't you thankful for the new nature? You see, some of you struggling with life just as I struggled as a teenager. I want to share with you a little bit of my testimony, and I don't want this to rock anyone unless you need to be rocked. I was raised in an atmosphere where it was, the terminology was be saved. You need to be saved. And you do that by saying, Lord, please forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. I want to be born again. I want to follow you. And that's a good prayer. That's a good thing. And yet I prayed that prayer many times. But there was absolutely no change in my life. There was no new spirit, no new nature given to me. I was trying to just check it off. I prayed that prayer. I even cried. I, I was just trying to check it off. I didn't want a new nature. I just didn't want to go to hell. You know there's a difference? You okay? One is using God as fire insurance. The other is a relationship with God because of love. See, there was no change in my life. God, there was no new nature within me because God looked beyond my fire insurance prayer and said, you care nothing about me. And until you do, there's a problem. And until you do, you're going to stay in that state of sinfulness because I cannot redeem you based on fire insurance. But one day, thank God, as I'm praying... I know I'm not saved. I've been praying to be saved for years. I know I'm not saved. Down deep in my knower, I know. And I said, God, please save me. I am crying, literally crying on a Monday night, laying in my bed. I'm crying, oh, God, please save me, please save me. And he just asked me a question. He said, do you love me? What? Let me ask you, do you love your insurance agent? Unless they're your spouse, probably not. Okay? You don't love an insurance agent. And what God was doing is saying, over here, over here, yes. I can't, I can't do much with this, but I can do something with this. So if you're going to stay over here, 
we have a problem. You want to transition over to a relationship, we're good. And I had to think about it for a moment, and I said, God, yeah, and I thought about Christ on the cross. I thought about what he did for me, and I said, yeah, God, I love you. He said, that's it. And now I said, God, because I love you and you love me, would you please forgive me? And it was in that moment right then that the Holy Spirit bore witness with my spirit that I was a child of God. It was in that moment that God took out of me what Ezekiel calls a heart of stone, and he placed within me that supple, soft, pliable heart that he could work with. It was a new nature given to me. And from that moment on, I began to look at my sin differently. Instead of just doing it, I began to be convicted of it. I said, oh, man, I need to stop doing that. I used to say words I shouldn't say, and man, I, I just, I, every time I would just say, oh, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I don't want to do that again. Help me not do that. There were some other things I did. I'm not going to talk to you about those. Let me ask you something. Are you struggling? You say, I've prayed the prayer. I go to church. I, you know, I put money in the offering. I don't know what else to do. I'm still struggling. I, I don't, I just, there's, there's something wrong between me and God. And can I submit to you with all love and graciousness and kindness? The problem is not with God. The problem was with me, and the problem is with you. It is your nature, like it was my nature. We have a sinful nature or we have a nature from God. And until we have a nature that God gives us, we will want to do good and we will not be able to. But when we have that nature that's been given to us from God, then all of a sudden we want to do what is right and we can do what is right. Every one of us knows that just when you become a Christian doesn't mean you're perfect and you never sin. We know that. But we have that desire. We have that longing. And by Christ, we have the ability and that's the beauty of being born again. God changes our lives not by pulling out, but by giving, by planting, by giving us that new nature. God's remedy for our growth is also not subtraction. It is addition. Because he says, I'm going to give you my spirit. Again, in Ezekiel, he tells us that he will put his spirit within us. He gives us his spirit to empower us to do not simply to not do. He gives us his spirit so that we will worship him and love him and serve him and so that we will be about his business, what he's trying to accomplish in this world and within us. It's not just a matter of saying, okay, I've saved you, now stop doing all those bad things. He says, okay, now I've saved you, now let's get busy doing the right thing. And what does he do? He gives us his spirit. In Acts chapter 1, we see what Jesus said. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. He says, I'm giving you my spirit so that you will have the power to be my witnesses. I've got an assignment for you. I have a destiny for you. I've got, I've got things I want you to do to be doing the right things. Every parent in this place knows that the best remedy to keep your children from doing the wrong thing is to get them doing the right thing. Keep them so busy doing the right things, they're too tired to sin. And that's why I think sports is a great thing, man. Just wear them out, man. They won't have time to go send their kids. You know, their friends want to go out and get drunk. They're like, I'm too tired. I got to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, he says, I'm going to give you my spirit. Not only does he give us a new nature, but then he piles on. and He says, I'm giving you my spirit. 
I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, all who call in the name of the Lord. I'm going to pour out my spirit on those who would seek that baptism of the Holy Spirit, that infilling, that flowing through. He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit so that you will have the power to do what I want you to do. And that's how he causes us to, to grow is because we're doing the right thing. We see a breakdown in a very important person's life named King David. The Bible tells us that in the spring of the year when kings would go out to war, David stayed home in Jerusalem. David was king. And in the spring of the year when kings go out to battle to defend their turf, David stayed home in Jerusalem. The army's out there. David's home in Jerusalem. Guess what happened next? Yeah, there was a, a young woman taking a bath. Yeah, when you're not doing what God's called you to do, you might do something God's not called you to do. So he says, I want you to be busy. I want you to do, and I've given you my spirit to empower you to do. Are you having trouble having that power to do what God's called you to do? You've got that vision, you know that calling, you know God's spoken to you, and now suddenly you're just going like, ah, how do, I don't know how, I don't know where, how's it going to happen? And God's saying, you need my spirit living, residing, empowering you so that you can do what I've called you to do. You need my spirit. Have you been calling out for the power of the Holy Spirit to flood you and fill you? Have you been saying, God, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that I can do what you've called me to do, both in my family and in my community, and in my church. God, I want to do what you call me to do. Lord, I need your Holy Spirit in my life. How many of you would say, I need the Holy Spirit in my life today? Amen. Because he's called us to do, not to just simply not do. The remedy for our health is another, and he does that by another addition. He gives us his word. Our health as a believer is given to us by God's word. He plants that, if you will, like a seed into our lives. That word of God, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, the word that is like milk and bread and meat in whatever position you're in, whatever place of maturity that you're in. To those who are young in the faith, it's like milk that we just, we just absorb and it, and it digests quickly and it's, and it's nourishing. Oh, it's just great, that, that milk of the word that comes to the young believer. And then God graduates and, and we move on and we mature and now we need a little more, something a little more substantial and God begins to provide that. And we begin to chew on it a little bit and it takes a little more effort. And then as we mature, he says, now you're ready for the meat. You're ready for the big stuff. You're ready for more than what you have had in the past. And that's when we go, oh, wow, this is, a, this is a whole nother level here. God is always nourishing us with his word, always encouraging, always edifying us. So how then do we live? If God does all of these things in our life, not just simply by taking away, but by adding to, how then do we live? We live with pur purpose, promise, and provision. We live with the purpose of knowing that my life is not just going to be, you know, 80, 90, 100 years, and then, okay, well, that's it. But we have purpose every day that we're here to serve God and love him. We're here to honor him and worship him. It is the chief end of man to glorify God, to worship him, and to enjoy him forever. That is the purpose of man. And until we find that purpose, we're searching for things and we're searching for this fulfillment. We have the desire to do what is right, but we can't. And we keep searching and searching and searching. And there are establishments all over the world for people who are searching in the wrong direction. 
There are strongholds that are established in communities because people are searching in the wrong direction. There are strongholds on the internet for men who are searching in the wrong direction. There's relationships that become strongholds for women who are searching in the wrong direction. But aren't you glad that God has come through Jesus Christ to come into this world like a seed, to come into this world as the Savior of every human being who will call on his name. And he says, I have the power to set you free. I have the power to redeem your life. I have the power to give you a new spirit, to give you my spirit, and to give you my word. And now with Christ, nothing's impossible. We live with purpose. We also live with promise. We have the promises of God. He said, I'll never leave you. I'm never gonna forsake you. I'm gonna be with you all, every step of the way. When it seems like you're on the mountain and everything's going great, I'm going to be right there with you. But when it seems like, man, everything has gone wrong and I can't believe I'm in this situation, I can't believe what has happened to me, what people have done, what my company's done, blah, blah, blah. I can't believe what has happened. God says, but I'm right here with you. It's one thing to be on the top and it's another thing to be on the bottom. But God says, I'm with you and I'm never going to leave you. There, have been, there are people here today who you've been on both ends of those perspectives. You've been on the bottom. And you would say, yeah, God's, God was with me when I was there. Maybe you've been on the top too. And you say, God blessed me. God blessed me. Can I share with you, Jesus Christ, from our perspective, has been on both of those. He was in heaven, a place of beauty and perfection, and I just can't even imagine what that's like. But what he did, he left all of that, and he came and lived for nine months in the womb of a young woman. And he was born into a cruel world. The first thing that people tried to do was kill him even as a baby. And he first started preaching. He said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. And he went to his hometown and he began to proclaim to them who he was and they tried to kill him. There were many times when they picked up stones, they were ready to just hurl rocks at him and just kill him with rocks. And then at the right time, at the right time, he gave up his life and subjected himself to sinful people. And he allowed them to nail him to a cross. He allowed them to whip him and beat him and humiliate him. He allowed it. But for what? Because he knew death could not hold him. He knew that. Sin had not entered his life. He did not have the old nature because the seed of God had been planted in that young virgin Mary. And he knew, I've never sinned. So I will go through this for the entire world. The sin of the entire world is what Jesus Christ died for. Not the sin of a few, but the sin of the entire world. And why did he do that? So that his seed could be placed in every one of you. The seed of Jesus Christ, God's word incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. 
It is Christ that we receive into our lives. It is the addition of Christ into our lives that causes the change. It is not what we can do and muster up, but it is the gift of God brought into our lives that brings a change. Can I submit to you today? It doesn't matter how many times you've come to church. It doesn't matter how many times even you've prayed. If in your prayers and you've asked God to help you, if there's not a change inside of your life, you still need Christ. We're not talking about perfection. We know that. But from my own life, I can attest to the fact that simply saying a prayer does not cause salvation. It is when the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. It is when Christ is born in you. That's when you're a Christian. Do you suddenly become perfect? Of course not. Christians have plenty of problems. But we have the answer to the biggest problem of all, and that is death. That's why Paul wrote, and he said, Death, where's your sting? Where's the victory that you have held? Grave? There is no victory in the grave to the Christian. There's no sting to the Christian because Christ conquered death. Why? So we would never die. Oh, these physical bodies are going to die, but I'm, aren't you glad we're not just our physical bodies? There's more to us than this. God says that part of you is going to live forever. That part of you will not die because Christ has been born inside of your life. Emmanuel, God with us. Do you have Emmanuel? Is he with you? Is he in you? Has he redeemed your life? Do you have the Holy Spirit to help empower you to do what God's called you to do? And God is calling us to do some hard things. God's calling you and me and us to do some hard things. The the days of soft Christianity should be over for us. The days of weak, soft Christianity are going bye-bye. It didn't work. It's not going to work. Safety third. You imagine the Apostle Paul writing a letter to his young son in the faith, Timothy. Timothy, I want you to go preach the gospel. I want you to go give it all. But hey, safety first. The one who had been shipwrecked spent a night and the day in the sea beaten, stoned, whipped. No, he says, no, we pursue Christ. Why? We do so because he's given us a new nature. We do so because he's given us his spirit. We do so because he's given us his word. Amen?